Well, we're going to read together from Psalm 19. So, if you want to turn up Psalm 19, now, now we're thinking, as John said, we're thinking about God speaking, how we hear God's voice. And uh, just as we read this psalm, maybe a question that you could have in your mind is, what does this psalm tell us about how uh, God speaks? And, and I suppose the hint is that it, it uh, falls into two parts. So, Psalm 19, and as we read, we know that this is God's Word. So, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens He has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from His pavilion, like a champion, champion rejoicing to run His course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, we're uh, going to look partly at Psalm 19 tonight, but we're going to jump about the Bible a little bit. Uh, you might want to uh, have your Bible open and be ready to go. I remember being in Good News Club when I was little, a sword drill, and you had to pull it out and find the different places. And you, I used to love to get my, uh, my mother's Bible, which had the index down the side, and it was great and used to win all the prizes until you were caught on and then you were ashamed. But anyway, uh, so we're, we're, we're jumping around a little bit. and we're, we're looking at this really important subject uh, tonight in our foundation series, really how God speaks to us. Uh, how, and that's a, a question about authority. It's about a question of how we hear God's voice, a question of how we know things. Uh, and really, it is a, a fundamental question because, in a sense, if we get this wrong, then so much else falls and fails. And straight away in our title, you'll notice that we have made an assumption, a few assumptions, but one key assumption, and that is that God does speak. We come before a, a speaking God, a communicating God, and that is tremendously important. It would be entirely possible to conceive of a, a, a situation where God would make us and sustain us, but He would hide from us. Uh, over Christmas, uh, we watched The Truman Show. It's, it's, it's an old movie now. You probably know the, the, the story uh, uh, about a, a man called Truman whose whole life is set 
inside a giant TV studio or TV set, and, and he doesn't know, of course. Everybody else around him is in on it, and the whole thing is being directed by a particular character, all the movements of all the people around Truman, and the point is that Truman's creator, as he calls himself, hides himself from Truman. He doesn't want Truman to know that he is there. It would be entirely possible for us to imagine a situation where God would be like that with us, but, but He's not. He is a God who communicates, and the point of His speaking is so that we would know Him. Francis Schaeffer once wrote a book with a fascinating title. It was entitled, He is There and He is Not Silent. He is there and he is not silent. So, there is a God and a God who speaks. That, that's what we are assuming in our title this evening. And that's, of course, what we see as we open up the Bible. God speaks the world into existence, for example. He speaks, and it is. He makes man, male, and female, and he speaks to them. And, and even whenever mankind rebels, he does not hide from them. They hide from him, but God seeks them and speaks to them. And so, right away through the Bible, we see God speaking in various ways to various people. As Schaeffer says, He is there, <clears throat> and He is not silent. Now, interestingly, that's <clears throat> one of the Bible's critiques of idols. Um, at points, the, the Bible is very a, a caustic about idolatry. And uh, Isaiah 46, for example, uh, idols are criticized, particularly because they cannot answer. So, the, 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 the prophet describes the process of making an idol. This is what he says. Some pour out gold from their bags. They weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god. They bow down and worship it. They lift it up to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Even though someone cries out to it, it cannot answer. It cannot save them from their troubles. And, and then later on, uh, just in a few verses later, God says of Himself, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. In other words, I speak. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And you see, if you, if you see that as the, the, the great divide that there is between a what we might call religion within the world. That's so perceptive, isn't it? The fact that we have a God who speaks means that we can know Him. It means that we can call upon Him. It means that we can seek help from Him. And therefore, we are like, if you like, we are like Elijah on Mount Carmel. Our God is the God who answers. And the world is rather like the prophets of Baal, desperately looking to gods who cannot save and cannot speak. Well, if our God can speak as He can, the question is, how does He do that? How does He do that normally? And, and Christians have tended to, to speak of God speaking, they've tended to talk about God speaking in, in two broad ways, what we call general revelation. Here's our picture, uh, general revelation and special revelation. Now, the whole idea of revealing revelation means uh, uh, letting us know something that, that we would not otherwise know. 
I remember one of my lecturers once using a great illustration which I've never forgotten, and, and he, he said, you know, if, if, uh, if you were to, to ask the question, or if I was to ask you, uh, do, you ha do I have a vest on today? Uh, well, you know, if it, what do you think? I mean, do you think that John has a vest on today? Now, you might speculate a little bit. You might sort of say, well, he's a country boy. He's tough, and, and, and he, you know, he grows up lifting potatoes and, and doing things and, and out in the, the cold and all the rest of it. Not at all. He'll not have a vest on. But then you might think, well, you know, he's studied a lot and he's sat in central heated rooms and stuff. He maybe has a vest on. And so you could, you could talk about it. You could guess and so on. But the only way to really know is, is to, for John, well, I'm not going to say reveal that he has a vest on, but at least to, 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 uh, to tell us, John, Oh, well, T-shirt there. So there we go. That sort of ruined the illustration. I should have looked at you before I, 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 I saw that. But anyway, uh, the, the point is that, that, that there are some things that we could not know unless that person reveals them to us. And so God reveals certain things to us that we would not know. And He does that both generally and He does that specially. Now, it is that division, effectively, that we've read about in Psalm 19. You notice that that psalm describes uh, the fact that nature or creation speaks of God. So, uh, that, that's how it, it starts. The heaven does declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. So, so this is saying that what God has made, creation speaks. And, and that is one of the ways that God communicates. It, it is part of what we call general revelation. So, the revelation is obviously God speaking, but the, the general points to the fact that it, that it goes everywhere, and that's something that this psalm particularly highlights. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. In other words, every people group in every place in every corner of the world receives this general revelation. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. It is general. And uh, there are some places, of course, therefore, that we know have not heard the gospel, not heard about Christ dying on the cross for our sins, but they have received a word from God through his general revelation. Now, now, that word leaves us without excuse. So, the Bible says in Romans 1 verse 20, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. What that means very practically for us is that if, if we're here tonight and, and we're an atheist, or we have friends who are atheists, there is a, a sense in which if we are in that position, we are denying something that, is, that we know at some level is true. So, so our, our atheist friends know something of God. I don't think that that should be our opening line with them necessarily. But, but as you chat to them, as you tell them about what you were doing in church this weekend, you should know that, that, that they are suppressing something that they know. 
they are without excuse. The other thing that we learn about this general revelation is that while everyone is without excuse, it is actually not enough to save us. It, it does not tell us about the cross, for example. It does not preach the gospel to us in that sense. And so, here's the, the headline about our world. Our world is without excuse, but needs to hear about Jesus. It's without excuse because of general revelation, and it needs to hear about Jesus through special revelation. Now, creation is, is, is not the only form of general revelation that Christians have, have mentioned others, that that inbuilt sense of God that people have that leads to people being worshipers. You'll, you'll find that on people who have never been exposed to to Christianity or, or, or maybe some of the other great world religions are, are still worshipers in one way or another. There's also that moral sense that, that, that we have that leads to people declaring certain things right and certain things wrong. There's a, there's a sense in which that betrays the fact that, that we are a, those who have received a, a general revelation from God. And it's linked to conscience as well. So there's a whole variety of ways in which God speaks generally to the whole world. But God does not only speak generally, He also speaks specially. And this special revelation is where God speaks to us clearly and unequivocally. So again, as we read the Bible, we, we find God speaking to people directly. We find Him speaking to people, for example, through angels or in dreams or visions, and especially then through prophets. They, they carry a word from God to His people, and then characteristically, they will say, thus says the Lord. God says. God has given them a message. They transmit it to His people. And supremely, God speaks to us specially by sending us Jesus. You remember that Jesus in John chapter 1 is described as the Word, the Logos, the Word of, of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, He is God's communication, His God's Word to us. John began the service with Hebrews 1.1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. What a, a revelation Jesus is. So, so Jesus is the very center and the pinnacle of God's speaking to us. And you'll notice that that verse from Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1, speaks of God in the past speaking through the prophets and in various ways, but now He has spoken to us through His Son. Now, the point there is that there's a full, and it looks like a final revelation in Jesus. Something new and final has happened. It implies that there were methods that God commonly used once but has ceased to use because we now have Jesus. Now, we'll come back to that. Now, as part of that ongoing special revelation, as the image shows there, of course, there is the Bible. There is 
the Old Testament Word of God, and there is then the New Testament Word of God. And, and there's a link, of course, between the Word who is Jesus and the written Word of the Scriptures. Jesus is ultimately the theme of the written Word. You know, we, we sometimes uh, use that little catchphrase from the Jesus Storybook Bible about the Bible, every story whispers His name. So, Jesus is the theme of Scripture, and Scripture points us to this last and greatest Word of God. And you see, that's what we see then in Psalm 19. We, we see both this general revelation going out in creation, but we also see the psalmist speak so much about the Scriptures. The law of the Lord, verse 7, is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And so he goes on, using all of these terms to refer to the Scriptures God communicating to His people beautifully, wonderfully, satisfyingly through His written Word. And you'll notice the, the, the end result of that as the psalmist speaks of this is, is both that his, his heart is full of the goodness of God, but he is also aware of God as his Redeemer and aware of his sin. And you see, that's the, that's the deal. We, we desperately want God to speak to us. We know that we need to. But when we, we discover what God says about Himself and about us, we find that those two pictures don't, don't, don't match. That who we are and who God says we are and what we're living for and, and, and what God says we should be living for that there's a disjunction there, there's a, there's a clash. And He's not going to change, so we must. He can't, but by His grace, we can. So, so whenever God reveals Himself to us, we become aware of our sin, but then also aware of His greatness. So, as we think then about the Scriptures, because this is what we have as, as the special revelation of God particularly, we've got to come to terms with what the Scriptures are. So, let's think a little bit about Scripture. So, we've got to ask, what, what is the Bible? So, lots of people that, that we will speak to this week think of the Bible essentially as a pretty historical record or semi-historical record that recounts man's search for God. It's a bit like, it's a bit like reading a sort of a, a teenager's diary in their attempts to get a boy or a girl to notice them. It's sort of saying, you know, I, I, I saw him across the school canteen this week, and, and, and we were chatting for a moment, and then, then he left for somewhere else, and I didn't quite get to, to meet him. And, and, and so, there's this, it's this sort of search for someone who's quite elusive. And lots of people see the Scriptures as that. In that sense, it's sort of bottom-up. It's, it's our search for the divine. But that's exactly the opposite of what the Scriptures are. The Scriptures, you see, are top-down. They are God speaking to us. It's the Word of God. Now, there's so many places we could go with this, uh, <clears throat> and we'll see how we do with time. But but let's have a, a, 
a little journey through the Scriptures to, to look at some of the key verses that, that make that claim clear. So, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Here, uh, Paul is speaking about uh, the, the Jews, uh, and he has talked about the fact that the Jews are alike under sin and judgment. And he asked the question, Romans 3, verse 1, what advantage is there then in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Verse 2, much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. So, here's Paul looking at the Jewish people, of which he is part, of course, and, and he's saying, what's the advantage in being a Jew? He says, well, we, we've got the very words of God. Talking about the Jewish Scriptures, the Old Testament, the very words of God. So, so therefore, whenever we open up the Old Testament here, according to Paul, we're, we're not searching for God's Word or, or, or maybe hoping that we might encounter God's words. We are hearing the very words of God. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter says, <clears throat> above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture uh, came about by the prophet's own interpretation, particularly here he's talking again about the Old Testament. So, that's 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Uh, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. So, here again, he's saying this is not just man's search for God. This is not uh, the, the insight of a gifted, a speculative theologian. Not by his own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so, so God comes, burdens by His Spirit, burdens the author, and God's Word results. It, it's, it's not dictated in the same way that the Muslims would claim that the Quran is dictated. It, it takes on the, the characteristics and its the, 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 uh, the style and so on of the particular author, men spoke from God. But it is God's Word carried along by the Holy Spirit. Then, maybe most famously, uh, 2 Peter 3, 16 and 17. 2 Peter 3, 16 and 17. Um, <clears throat> all Scripture is... God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God breathed, all Scripture breathed out by God. And if we might suggest that someone might suggest, well, that's just looking at the Old Testament, then we could uh, turn to 2 Peter 3.16. And you'd see that, that there Peter refers to the writings of Paul and, as he puts it, the other Scriptures. In other words, he was aware that Paul's writings were the other Scriptures. And you see, this is how Jesus treated the Scriptures. I remember doing a seminar on 
can we trust the Bible for uh, Christian unions uh, at, at some conference down in, the, in Dublin? And the main speaker was a, a chap called uh, David Cook, who was a, an Australian, and the two of us ended up chatting to one of the students, and they were, he was chatting about the reliability of the Bible and so on. And uh, David Cook turned to me and he said, but, but, you know, what would you say? What's the key reason that you can trust the Scriptures? And, of course, I had a whole talk ready to go on this. And I uh, said, well, you know, you can this and this and this and this. And, and David Cook's face sort of just fell a little bit. And, and, and he said, yes, and, and, and. And I was getting a little bit hot under the collar. And, uh, and, and he just gave up on me after a while. And he turned to the student. He said, because Jesus trusted the Scriptures. And I went away and altered my talk before I gave it that afternoon. And, uh, <clears throat> it, but, but that's exactly it. This is the way that Jesus treated the Scriptures. And, and, and He rose from the dead. So He was right. Let me just show you something uh, really, really helpful on this. I've always found this fascinating. So G, what, what we're trying to say here is that Jesus trusted all of the Old Testament as God's Word, even if it didn't say, thus says the Lord, or it wasn't just brought, as it were, from the mouth of the prophet. Let me show you where, where, where he does that very, very clearly. So Matthew, uh, Matthew 19, uh, verse 45, Matthew 19, ver verse 45. Uh, <clears throat> uh, no, that's not right. Um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, Matthew 19, 4 and 5, that's where it is, yes. Matthew 19, 4 and 5. So, Jesus speaking uh, in dispute with the Pharisees, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So, what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, the Creator said, for this reason, and that's the quote from Genesis, from Genesis 2, verse 24. Now, if you look at Genesis 2, 24, that's not one of those, thus says the Lord passages. That's just the narrator of Genesis. And yet, Jesus quotes Genesis 2, 24 and says, the Creator said, God said. So, as Moses is writing Genesis. Jesus is saying, the Creator is speaking. Isn't that remarkable? That's what Jesus believed as far as the Scriptures were concerned. So, so you can see that, 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 that Jesus held the, the, the Bible in the highest regard. When, when um, He entered into debate with the Pharisees, for example, He would have sometimes said to them, haven't you read? In other words, God has said. And to him, that settled it. Haven't you read? God has said it. I believe it. That settles it. And the church has always believed that, that this is what the Bible is. God's Word written it is God speaking. Now, whenever we get to that point, friends, this is the great issue for the church in our day and generation. Are we going to believe the Bible? That's it. And when we get to that point where we say, yes, the Bible is true, it is God's Word, 
then everything changes. And to accept that and to live in the implications of it is really, really key. So, it means that to ignore the Bible is to ignore God, or to disagree with the Bible is to, to disagree uh, with God. So, imagine, I've used this illustration before, uh, one of my children is in their, their room, and I shout to them, and I say, right, it's, it's time for tea. Would you come down for tea, please? Now, what are my words there? They are an extension of me, that that child cannot ignore those words while at the same time paying attention to me, if you know what I mean. Their attitude to my words at that point is really the same as their attitude to me. So, if you were to imagine a situation where that particular child was on the phone to one of his or her friends and was saying, you know, my dad's great. This happens in our house all the time. My, my, my dad's great. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I love him and I just do what he says. It's easy to listen to him because he's so wise. Well, it doesn't matter what they think about me. If they ignore my words, they're ignoring me. And so, you see, if people are talking about, well, isn't God wonderful? But there are bits of the Bible that I just can't accept. Then there are bits of God that they can't accept. To ignore His Word is to ignore Him. Now, now that just means that we cannot sit in judgment over the Bible. It sits in judgment over us. It's not the other way around. So, so we don't read it and, and say, well, how do I feel about that? Do I agree with that? Will I accept that? No. God says it, that settles it, I believe it. And, and that's why so much of the church is in the mess that it's in today. Remember listening to a church debate in another place altogether about one of the great moral issues of our day over which society is so divided. And a church leader was saying, and he, and he said, why, speaking, and he said, look, why are all these people quoting the Bible on this issue? We know better than the Bible now. And you see what he was doing? He was sitting in judgment over God's Word, over God. Alan pointed out to me at one stage that when our video stream goes out, it, we, John or I, as we're speaking, appear just below the Bible here. It's a useful symbol, isn't it? We're together under the authority of the Scripture. We're not sitting in judgment over it. We are submitting to it. Now, we've done this before as well. I, I find this a really helpful way to, to think about how different people who, who say uh, that they are Christians come from different streams of Christianity, how they, they, they look at, at, at how they receive a word from God, how they hear from God. It, it's this little a Bible reason institution experience diagram. Let's, let's throw that up on the screen just now. So, if you think, if you think of the cheese, B-R-I-E, Brie, and there there are four, four options, four ways in which people traditionally sort of say, well, this is how we hear from God. This is how God speaks. So, some people, we, will say that God speaks through the Bible. Some people will say, well, God speaks through reason. Some people through the institution, through perhaps the church. Some people through 
experience. So think of, of these things. Uh, reason, that, that church leader that I was uh, quoting a, a while ago, he said, we know better than the Bible now. That was someone who had elevated their reason above the Scriptures. Really useful whenever you hear t- someone uh, talking about a, a religious argument, and you ask the question, what is it they're relying on for hearing God speak? How do they know what is true? Uh, so it may well be from the, the from their reason. We we just know that that's the case. For example, or the institution traditionally. So traditionally, reason it uh, tends to be where uh, modern liberal Protestants tend to hang out. Uh, institution that, that that tended to be where uh, churches like the, the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church tended to lean towards, where where at points they they would say well, God speaks through the institution to us, and we will tell the faithful what to believe. And therefore, if you're a Catholic, you will know that there are some things that the church requires you to believe, if you're to be a faithful Catholic, that are not in the Bible. So, the institution is how God speaks, partly. And then experience, and this tends to be perhaps where some of our charismatic friends might lean towards, where, where God speaks to us in d- directly, perhaps, through a word of knowledge or through a prophecy or through a general prompting by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and lots of people will have heard people say, well, you know, God told me this. It sounds very uh, spiritual, but, but there's such a danger, therefore, in setting that above the Bible. Now, let's be honest. We, we use all of these things as we uh, listen to what God says, because we use our reason to interpret the Scriptures. We listen to what the church has said about how we listen to the Scriptures down through the years, and we also come to the Scriptures with our experience. But we, we know that none of these things must be said above the Scripture. God has His final full word. We are to submit to it. So, so Alistair Begg, uh, John reminded me of this, said, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. I think it was really helpful. Uh, so, as we're wrapping up, let, let, let's, let's be sort of practical here for a moment or two. How, how, how should hearing God's voice figure within our lives? Some of our friends, some of us perhaps will think differently over this and would be really happy to talk to you about this afterwards. There are, I think, good reasons to suggest that those more what we might call dramatic ways of God speaking through dreams and words of knowledge seem to belong to the time that Hebrews is speaking about under that title of various ways in the past, God spoke to us this way, but now we have Jesus. And so, they're, they're part of those various ways. And, and, and that's what we tend to see as the New Testament church grows. So, so the New Testament church, as we, as we look at the, the sort of the uh, chronological development of the church, so the pastoral letters, for example, Timothy and Titus are, are towards the end of the church, the apostolic age. And if you, you read those letters especially, you'll find that the church is not told to, to pray and to wait for God to speak. 
It is told to read the Bible and preach the Bible. It's where God speaks. Now, let's be fair, there, there are some uh, exceptions perhaps to that, that God is, is, is free to do as He wishes, and, and you will know that if you're hearing stories of many Muslims being converted in the Middle East, for example, it's often the case that, that, that God has, has somehow, it would seem, come to them in a dream, and, 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 and Jesus has appeared to them in some way. But often, the course of their conversion leads them from that initial encounter to a man with the Scriptures, to a woman with the Scriptures, to the Scriptures itself, and they come to know who this was who called to them. So, so it is the Scriptures that give us a, a solid word. What, what about the idea that we should ask God for a, a word or an insight for, for us or for someone else? And that as we wait on Him, that sort of forms in our minds and we can rely on it as a, as a sure word from God. Well, certainly I don't think we can rely on it as a, a sure word from God. Expecting God to speak to us in that way is not something that we see in the Bible. And if we are to expect that, we will find that we have a massive capacity to convince ourselves that our own thoughts are just equivalent to the voice of God. Now, we may find that God may burden us with something that we just can't get out of our minds, maybe a, a work or a cause or a, a, a situation that we feel burdened that we should be involved in. But we, we would know that, that such an impression upon us should always be, first of all, in line with Scripture. And I think we should always be at least cautious of giving it too much weight. So, so we would uh, rule it out completely if it contradicted Scripture. And, and if it doesn't, we, we would ask God to help us be wise about that. Probably take it to our brothers and sisters and say, you know, I'm really feeling burdened and directed to, to be involved in this. Well, what do you think? Is that, is that a good thing for me to do, a good use of my time, a good use of my resources? Is this a, a worthy work to throw myself behind? We, we're going to do an evening on guidance, on how God guides us. And we'll do that probably about another month or so. It's so important, and it really hangs on these issues. How do we know God speaks to us? I, I have had numerous friends who, who've, who've really been quite hurt and bruised over this. One person who, who, who someone came and, and said, I've received a word from the Lord that you should marry this person. So incredibly dangerous. Heard of a pastor who told his congregation that God had told him to leave his wife and family and to move in with another person who was not his wife. Was that God speaking? Absolutely not. That was what his sinful heart wanted God to say to him. But God had already spoken on that issue. And those around him, I hope, told him that. So, how do we hear from God? We open our Bibles. And so, this is how we should treat the Scriptures. Use this illustration before as well. Imagine we were to 
to hear today somehow that tomorrow at 3 p.m., God would send an angel to the square in Lurgan with a message for us. Three o'clock, there would be a message from God, a sure word from God. What would we do? Well, we would, if we knew that that was true, we would, we would, we would move heaven and earth, wouldn't we, to be there? We would change whatever appointments we had. We'd be there early. We would be sure that if God was going to speak to us, we were going to hear it. This is what we have in the Scriptures, a sure word from God. Why should we open it with any less enthusiasm than would take us to hear a message from that angel? Because God has given us all that we need in the pages of His Word.